So this is how we roll here at Cedarville. It's, we're rolling through the book of Romans. That's the sermon series for the year, justified, forgiven, alive. We are in Romans chapter 10. So I'll catch you up with the outline that we've used for the book. And so on that outline for the book, we're at the middle section now, the outlook for Israel. So chapters one, two, and three talk about our condemnation. General revelations out there, it just condemns us. We understand that we are sinful because our conscience also condemns us and we are without hope because we cannot earn salvation and so we are condemned. Paul spends a lot of words putting us in a really bad place so that we understand we need a savior and we're not it. And then he transitions to a section on righteousness in three through eight. And that's a really encouraging section. All of a sudden, at the end of chapter eight, it's almost like the question popped into his mind, what about Israel? And so he begins to address that. Romans chapter nine is one of the most difficult chapters to talk about and preach on. For the students who were here last week when we went through Romans chapter nine, Romans chapter 10 comes right after it. So last week, think about all the things we talked about. We talked about Choosing Isaac over Ishmael. We talked about choosing Jacob over Esau. Difficult passages there. Isaac, I have loved. Esau, I have hated. That's hard. I raised up Pharaoh so I could destroy him. Who's the clay to talk back to the potter to tell us anything? And God's sovereignty was on full display. Today in the passage that we see, human responsibility is gonna be right there with it. And so in our theological systems, We have to be comfortable holding God's sovereignty and human responsibility right there together and to recognize that in our finite minds, we're never gonna be able to fully comprehend or explain an infinite God because his ways are beyond our ways. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts. And as Deuteronomy 29, 29 tells us, the secret things belong to the Lord. So when we come to Romans chapter nine, we talk about God's sovereignty When we come to Romans chapter 10, we're gonna talk about the gospel and we're gonna recognize that even Romans chapter nine was bracketed with Paul's concern for the loss in the front and then the beginning of Romans chapter 10, which we talked about last time, it also talked about Paul's concern for the loss. So today, we move from Romans nine to Romans 10. We roll through that with this main idea. Believe, confess, and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Now that's a loaded main idea. This text is going to tell us that we need to believe in our hearts and that we need to confess with our mouths. And then it's going to tell us how are, how are the people going to hear if somebody doesn't go and preach to them or proclaim to them the truth of the gospel. And in this, what is it that we're to believe is this loaded phrase, Jesus is Lord. And you can't miss the fact that this is to the Romans. In the Roman time, the common expression was, Caesar is Lord. This is a shocking, astonishing statement that says Jesus is more important than the Roman government. Jesus is more important than anything else. Jesus is more important than Caesar because Jesus is Lord. And we'll unpack that a little more as we walk through this. Here's your outline. We're gonna look at a focus on faith in verses five through 13, a focus on mission. What is it that we're supposed to do with our lives on this earth in 14 and 15? And then we're gonna look at rejection because this is what they're dealing with with Israel is the rejection of the truth of the gospel in 16 through 21. So we start here with a focus on faith and we look at it in Romans chapter 10, verses five through 13. So let me read that text to us as we walk through this. 
For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that a person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness that is based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So in this text... There is a focus on faith. It starts out with the righteousness that comes from the law, and it says the person that does that, the person who is seeking to be righteous and to earn heaven by his or her good works, the person that says, I'm gonna pull myself up by my bootstraps, I'm gonna work really hard, I'm gonna be really diligent, and I'm gonna be a good enough person. The person who even thinks, I don't have to be perfect maybe, just better than the person beside me because I'm good enough, that person is gonna be judged by the law, and that person is gonna be judged by living by all of the commandments. The problem is none of us can do that. So we recognize that the law came not to provide a way of salvation for us, but the law came to point out to us that we are sinful beings with a fallen nature and we need the grace of the gospel. So it transitions just after that one sentence. It's not a righteousness based on the law, but it's the righteousness that's based on faith. So what does the righteousness based on faith say to us? It's gonna say with three that is's, I've got them highlighted up here for you. That is, in parentheses, in verse seven. That is, in verse eight. And then there's another one up there on in verse six at the end over to the left. That is. And so what it's saying to us is you're not doing this by works. You don't have to be superhuman, perfect individual. It's not by works, it's by faith. And when it's by faith, it says, do not say in your heart, who's gonna ascend to heaven? Who can ascend to heaven? Nobody. Who could bring Jesus down? The incarnation's already happened. You don't have to do that. So who of you in the room always gets so hard on yourself because you're not perfect and you're not good enough and you're always wondering, will I ever be good enough to satisfy God? And the answer to that is no, you will never be good enough, but you don't have to be because the grace of the gospel is there and Christ's righteousness has been imputed to you. You don't have to ascend to heaven. You can't bear that weight. Who is it that is to bring Christ down? Or verse seven, who's gonna descend down into the abyss? Who's gonna go down into the grave to resurrect Christ? Who's gonna go down to bring Christ up? Well, you don't need to because it's already happened. Christ has already lived the perfect life, had the virgin birth, the incarnation, the cross, the substitutionary atonement, went to the grave, conquered the grave, rose again, let a whole bunch of people see him so they would know that he had risen from the grave. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father and he gives us this good news that we can be saved by faith. Anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. Here, look at what it says, verse, verse eight. But what does it say? The word is near you. This is quoting the Old Testament. 
Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 14. The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. And here I put a comma and I say to you, if you're in this room because you're visiting today and you have never confessed that Jesus is Lord, you have never believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you have never repented of your own sin, humbled yourself before God and said, God, I know I can't do it that I am a sinner and I am in need of grace and I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose again and I put my faith and trust in what Jesus did, not in what I can do, then today can be the day of salvation. The word is near to you. It's right here. And all you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Cedarville student who's been struggling and wondering, am I good enough? Can I do it? Did I do it right? Did I say the prayer perfectly enough so that God would accept me? No, you didn't. But all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and you'll be saved. It's not about your perfect wording. It's not about you. It's not about what you have done. It's about what Christ has already accomplished. It's here. It's near. And that is good news. And that changes everything. Verse nine, because if you... Confess with your mouth, verbal confession, Jesus is Lord. Y'all, is this a magic potion? Is this Harry Potter? What, what, what's one of his spells? Incendio. Incendio. What is it, Samuel? Uh, incendio. Incendio. Yeah, I don't know. This is not that. Incendio. Levitato. I don't know, idiomatum, I don't know what. You, you, you've watched the movies, you know, and I'm not commending Harry Potter to you if you're anti-Harry Potter. Well, I'm just using this to say this is not a magic formula. You can't sit there in your seat wanting to live in your own strength and say, Jesus is Lord, okay, I'm good, I got my ticket. No, 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 no. If you're gonna say and believe and confess that Jesus is Lord, it means that you are no longer in control of your life. You're no longer the pilot on the seat in the plane directing where it goes, that you are actually saying to Jesus, Jesus, you are in control of my life. I'm gonna go wherever you wanna go. I'm gonna write down and give you my blank check. Here's my sheet. I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna go where you want me. I'm gonna do what you want me to do because Jesus is Lord. Caesar's not Lord. And friends, there's no political party that is Lord. There's no law system that is Lord. Jesus is Lord. So we believe in our hearts. What does that mean? Well, my heart. My heart is my center of being, as you think about it in the biblical terms. It is the core of who I am. It is everything. It is not just an emotional expression. It's not just something you did at a campfire, at a weekend youth retreat. This is, this is in my heart. I know that Jesus is Lord. And so I believe it with every fiber of who I am. And then I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. There's your main idea. Believe it first, confess it then, and proclaim it to others because that's what we're supposed to do. It says in verse nine, we're gonna get repetition. We know because we're Bible students. When you get repetition, you highlight, mark, and underline that. We know, because we're really good at speech and debate, when you do repetition, it underlines and emphasizes your main points. We know, because we're really good at writing, that you have a main idea or a thesis that you support with different facts, and you come right back around in the conclusion to push that main idea or that thesis back out. Look at what he does in verse nine. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Time out, I don't think they got it. Let's give it to him again in verse 10. Let's flip it this time. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. 
He just said the same thing. Justification is salvation. You are declared legally justified, just as if you had never sinned. That legal declaration then comes. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. There's repetition. For the scripture then says, everyone, okay, time out. Who is this for? Is this just the Jews? Because we were talking about Israel. No, 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 Paul has gotten excited. He started looking and thinking about the gospel and the fact that it's near to us and that everybody that confesses the name of the Lord can be saved. And here, he's gonna tell us who he's talking about here. He says, everyone, everyone who believes in him, repetition again, will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between the Jew and the Gentile. For the same Lord is Lord of all. Underline, circle that all, because it's gonna affect how you interpret these next verses coming up. Bestowing his riches on all. Underline, circle that all. Who will call on him. Call on him. Believe in him. Confess that he is Lord. And then proclaim it to the whole world, because it is the thing that matters most. Verse 13, he's quoting here Joel 2.32, referencing back to the Old Testament all throughout this section. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You wanna be saved? Call on the name of the Lord. Lord, I know I'm messed up. By the way, if you're in this room and you're messed up, welcome to the club, because join in all the rest of us. I'm messed up. Yep, you are. Lord, I need grace and I need mercy and I need a savior. And I repent of my sin. I'm gonna change my direction. I'm gonna turn from the direction I'm going. I'm gonna change my mind and I'm gonna go in a different direction and I'm gonna follow you because Jesus is Lord. Anybody that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't have to understand and be able to explain the intricacies of the Trinity or you don't have to be able to understand how to explain Romans chapter nine in order to be saved. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And you don't have to do it in here. You can do it in your dorm room. You can do it in a classroom. Listen, I promise you this. If you need to be saved and you walk into your class and you tell your faculty member up front, I need to be saved, that faculty member will stop what they're doing and they will focus on you getting saved more than they will the content of that particular lecture because here we think it's that important. All right, I gotta move on to the second point. Focus on faith. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. And here Paul just, he just wraps it up and repetitions us to death with it. Believe and confess. Now we look at mission. So then the mission, some people interpret this as this is the Jews. But Paul has just told us everyone, everyone, all, all. And so he kind of backs up and he says, this is everybody. And this is the passage. And let's look at what it says here in verses 14 and 15. How then will they call on him? The logic here is phenomenal. He is building his case. He is doing it like a master orator or writer. How are they gonna call on him and who they've never believed? How are they gonna believe in him of who they've never heard? And how are they gonna hear unless someone goes preaching? And how are they gonna preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So let's look at this particular section. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How, 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 how? So reverse these. So I reversed them and wrote them down. So I'm gonna look at it just to make sure I don't mess it up. So when you look at these and you reverse them, you have sent, you have preach or proclaim. Proclaim the good news. 
You have hear, you have believe, and then you have call. So somebody goes. You go on that short-term mission trip like many of you are doing over spring break. You go on that sports trip like many of you are doing over the summer. You go on that trip, and as you are sent, then you proclaim the good news of the gospel. Everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then after you proclaim it, they hear it. And once they hear it, then they have to believe it. And then once they believe it, they call upon the name of the Lord, and then they're saved, and that's how the missionary task works. That's our mission. Now, we hear this verse, these verses preached a lot, and we hear them preached talking about a global missions effort, and it's there. There are people who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ, and it is a tragedy that we can sit in a place where we hear sermons five days a week. And there are people who have never heard the name of Jesus that exist on our planet, and we need to get the gospel to those people. But this passage is not only about those who are in India or China or North Korea. This passage is also about those people who live in Cedarville and Dayton and Cincinnati and Columbus and Cleveland and wherever you're from. This passage says, Blessed are those who preach the good news. And you say, okay, time out. I'm out. I'm not a preacher. I don't have to worry about this passage. This passage is definitely for those who preach. But this passage and what it's saying to us and the application of it is not limited just to those who preach. The truth of this passage is just as true for all of us and all of our friend groups and all of those people that we know that do not know or have not clearly heard or may not yet believe that we need to be gospel evangelists focused on being on mission for Jesus Christ. So here's what I think this looks like. For our students, you are majoring in a discipline, and as you major in that discipline, you're trying to determine, and our faculty are helping you, is this your God-given gifts? And sometimes we help you by saying no. Because if you don't like math and you wanna be an engineer, it's not your God-given gift, all right? It just doesn't work. I am not an engineer, I never will be, because I think algebra is torture. So yeah, I mean, or calculus, or 50Q, or whatever, pick your... Some of you love it, others of us don't. Some of us like playing with words, which some of you really hate. And so God created us differently. You gotta find that God-given passion. Our faculty will help you there, one way or the other. You gotta find that God-given gift. And you gotta align the God-given passion and the God-given gift and work with excellence to be really good at what you do so that you can use that as your platform for the gospel ministry for the rest of your life. You gotta choose where you're gonna plant your life and what local church you're gonna get involved in so that you can make a difference for the gospel with your life. Friends, don't think that your mission is just to get a degree, get a job, put money in the bank, raise a family, and then pass it on down so that somebody can do it all over again. You have an eternal mission. Your mission is bigger than that. You can do something that lasts forever. You can plant your life. You can get involved in a local church. You can love on other people. You can make sure the gospel is proclaimed to them in a loving, compassionate, convictional way. And you can be the person that people look to when their life falls apart. And you can be on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't let that fly over your head. Don't miss that your job is to embrace your mission. And that's to use your already God-given talents. Yeah, you're smart. Why are you smart? Because God made you that way. It's not an accident. And it's not to your pride. You're gifted. 
Yeah, you're gifted. You're incredibly gifted because God made you that way for a purpose, for a mission. And when you go out and you are staying humble, God will prosper you because God wants to glorify himself and he wants to elevate you so you use that in the right way to get the gospel out. That's what we're supposed to do. Our gospel mission. Okay, to our guest. You're looking at schools all across the country. You're checking places out. Here's what I want you to consider. Where can I go that I will be trained in a biblical worldview in such a way that when I go out and get into my career field, I'm gonna be able to present the gospel and live on mission in that way. A place where it's not just about not getting overcome by liberalism and bought into that is what are you missing when you don't go to a Christian university and you don't understand when you are studying human anatomy that God is the one that intricately wove everything together even in the womb and that God is the one that is to be worshiped in a human anatomy class, not some evolutionary theory or principle that seeks to remove God entirely from the equation. What is it that you can get in your education with friends that are gonna encourage you for the rest of your life and push you and challenge you so that you can be on mission for Christ. And wherever you go, whatever you do, be on mission for the gospel because there are people out there who haven't heard, they haven't believed, they haven't called, and they're gonna spend an eternity in hell separated from God. The most important thing we can do is share the gospel with them. So let me lay this out just a little bit longer. So what's your calling? Well, I really like video games. Great, be part of an esports org that shares the gospel with people that you play with. I really like soccer. Well, great, be part of a soccer team like ours that writes notes to the opposing team and shares the gospel with those that they dominate on the pitch. <laughs> hey, it's more effective if you dominate them first and then share the love of Christ with them later. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not very talented but I'm good at listening. Can you imagine a career in counseling or mental health issues where you are in the place listening to somebody when they're hurting most and you can direct them to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can you imagine being an educator in an inner city school with a whole lot of students who don't have moms and dads both living at home and they don't know what church is and they've never heard the name of Jesus clearly explained and you're there and you're on the spot when the opportunity presents itself to be able to share your faith Perhaps you're gonna run a business one day that's gonna support biblical principles and love on people well. Perhaps you're gonna be in cybersecurity, keeping the bad guys out and making sure the good guys get to do what they do and helping missionaries overseas with their security as it impacts their ability to serve Christ there. Perhaps you're gonna be in social work and you're gonna be the one who shows up at the door when a family is completely falling apart and they need somebody to show up at the door that understands the love of Christ and can point them to the gospel as appropriate. Political science. I would just take politicians who are honest and love Jesus and love people. Like that would just be nice. You don't even have to really be good at politics for me. Just, <laughs> just don't be ruthlessly mean. And just, just come on, be nice, have a biblical worldview. You're, one of you should run for president. I would vote for you. I'm kidding, but I'm not. Um, communication. How are you going to share the gospel if you can't use your words? 
Oh, you could be a translator and translate the gospel into a language that has never been heard. Oh, that reminds me of something. I just happened to bring a book up here today. Okay, this is really weird, but I'm gonna do it anyway. This is about a guy named Adoniram Judson. It's to the Golden Shores. So Adoniram Judson, you should read this book. Don't do everything that's in it, but you should read this book. He met this lady named Nancy. And he decided after meeting Nancy that one month later, he was gonna tell Nancy that he wanted to be her suitor, which is like engagement, like a month, right? Okay, time out, that makes you weird and creep. This is a different time, so don't do that. Just say, I wanna get to know you and go have coffee, okay? That's much better. And he wasn't a freshman when it happened. That doesn't say that in here, I'm sure. Because if you're a freshman, you're supposed to work on being the right person, not finding the right person. That comes sophomore, junior, senior year. No pressure, all right? So one month from the day he met her, don't do this, he formally, quote, commenced an acquaintanceship. I don't even know what that means. So they tell me, which means he formally decided to declare his intentions to her as a suitor. That's bold. You go, boy. This he did in a letter, not a text. He wrote a letter. That's with paper and pen. And he declared for several days, and, and she did not reply to it. His contents were such an open secret within the household that one of her sisters finally said, if you don't reply to it, I'm going to. Her reply was not encouraging, but neither was it a rejection. She simply said, you have to talk to my parents. You have to have their consent before even considering Adoniram. Privately, she said, oh, you won't do it. It's not gonna work. So Adoniram promptly sat down at the table and wrote to Nancy's father. Here's what he wrote. Don't do this. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring. That's a quick engagement. To see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to danger of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of the perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion to the glory of God? Can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened with the acclamation of praise? We shall resound to her savior from heathens Saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. Uh, one of John's, her father's friends, said that he would tie his daughter to a bedpost and not let her go. John said the daughter could do what she wanted to. She wrote confidentially to a friend, Lydia, I feel willing and expect, if nothing in providence prevents to spend my days in the world of the heathen lands. Yes, Lydia, I've come about to the determination to give up all my comforts and enjoyments here, sacrifice and affection, relatives and friends, and to go where God and his providence shall see fit to place me. She died in India. Adonai Judson, he translated the Bible so that the people who lived in Burma could actually read and hear and call and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Friends, let me ask you a question. I'm gonna go through the rest of this really quick, so don't get nervous. 
Would your life be better spent leading somebody else to the Lord for all eternity or running a Fortune 500 company and having billions of dollars and losing your faith? I think the Bible answers that for us. What profit is a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Be on mission. This final section here is on rejection. I've spent enough time on mission because I thought it was most important for us to consider, so I'm gonna roll through this quickly. In this portion on rejection, the Israel didn't believe, so why not? How then will they call on him who they never heard? How will they believe? How will they hear? Go preach. Blessed and beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they haven't obeyed the gospel. Why not? Because they didn't believe it. He quotes here Isaiah. And he said, Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what you have heard from us? Isaiah was sent. Here, I'll go, send me. And you're gonna preach to a people who won't hear and you're gonna preach to a people who won't respond. So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. And he cites here Psalm 19.4, general revelation. The voice has gone out to all the earth, the words to the end of the world. Now, does this mean the gospel is complete? No, because in Romans 15, four, he says he's going to Spain to share the gospel with people who haven't heard. He means here that back to the Israelites, they know, they know because of general revelation, they need a savior. But I asked, did Israel not understand it? Well, maybe they heard it. They just didn't understand it or comprehend it. And he quotes from Moses here in Deuteronomy. And he says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation. I will make you angry. What he's saying here is even the Gentiles heard it and believed and understood. If the Gentiles understood it, so did you. It's not that you didn't hear it. It's not that you didn't know. It's not that you didn't understand. So what is it? Isaiah says so bold. I have been found by those who did not seek me, the Gentiles. I have shown myself to those who did not ask, the Gentiles. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Why did Israel reject Christ? Because they were disobedient and contrary people. Notice what he doesn't say here. Because they were predestined to hell or not predestined to heaven. There is human responsibility when you reject Christ. And if you're in the room and you reject Christ, it's your fault. Because he has provided the way of salvation. Here's your application. Application point number one, have you called upon the name of the Lord? Maybe you're here and maybe you haven't. Today can be the day of salvation. Call upon the name of the Lord and you can be saved. Application number two, are you pursuing your mission? We need missionaries and we need preachers and we need youth ministers, but that's not all of you. We need Bible translators. We need gospel-driven nurses. We need gospel-driven teachers. We need gospel-driven social workers. We need gospel-driven counselors. We need gospel-driven business leaders. We need gospel-driven athletes. We need everyone everywhere on mission for the sake of the gospel. Is God calling you to do something? Maybe as you've heard this, you thought, I need to tell a friend. Maybe you've been gaming with a friend online and you talk to them online and you've never met them face to face and you don't have a clue what they believe because you're talking about Fortnite or Rocket League or whatever, Overwatch or pick your, pick your poison. Maybe you need to say, hey, we're good buddies. I need to tell you something. Will you listen to what I have to share to you? Maybe there's a friend back home that you need to share with. Maybe you need to go on a short-term mission trip because after all, we want all of you overseas on a mission trip before you graduate. 
Go with your local church if, if that's great, but just go. Maybe you don't know how to share your faith and you need to learn how to share your faith better. We have an org for that. We have an org that goes out to secular campuses all around and shares the gospel. And I heard a report that last week they had somebody profess faith in Jesus Christ from one of these visits on one of these campuses. Praise the Lord for that. Or blank. I don't know what the Lord's saying to you in your heart. Maybe he's saying you need to refocus how you're thinking about your mission and where you're gonna go after graduation and what church you're gonna get involved in and how you're gonna plant your life as a gospel light in a city that needs a witness for Christ. Hey, we got opportunities in Salt Lake City. We got opportunities in Pittsburgh. We got opportunities in Boston. We've got opportunities for you all over the place to plant your life with church plants to be on gospel mission. All right. You know, I read through all this believe, confess, and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And I had this thought, maybe we need to have another worship and prayer night where we just show up informally, come and go, sing praises to the Lord, pray for the nations, pray for our lost friends, pray for churches. What do you guys think? You up for that? All right, what about Wednesday night, eight o'clock? Let's go. All right, right here. Wednesday night, eight o'clock. I don't know if we'll have a band. We'll figure it out. Ashlyn will figure out how to have a band, I'm sure. Um, we'll show up here just informal time of praise, prayer, and worship. Because the right response to understanding that we have been saved because we called upon the name of the Lord, the right response to understanding there are people who don't know the name of Jesus is to come together as a group and pray for the lost and worship the King who has been so merciful to us and then to live our lives on mission for him. Dear Lord, would you help us to do just that? Lord, would you help us to examine our own lives and not to waste them, Lord, but just to be your servants, faithful stewards, doing whatever it is you want us to do, wherever you want us to do it for your glory and not our own. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And you are dismissed.